This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Wednesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. Beautiful day here in the Northeast, supposed to be 70 degrees, and then a monsoon tomorrow, and if you live in the hills of Connecticut, snow tomorrow. How about that? Measurable snow here in the state of Connecticut coming tomorrow. Uh, fortunately, not where I live. Uh, I live uh, kind of uh, in the middle of the state, and it's going to be the northern part of the state up in the hills. It's more elevant, elevation dependent, so thank God we're not going to get any. But the last thing I want to see is snow on April 15th, ready to get the garden planted, and uh, good Lord. So anyway, uh, lots to get to this morning. Uh, a lot of things happened around Major League Baseball last night, but before we get to that, I want to talk about this uh, meeting that's happening today with the NCAA. Uh, their Division One Council meets today and tomorrow. And in that um, those meetings, there is a proposal to eliminate the rule that players that transfer have to sit out a year in certain sports before being eligible to play at another school. It'll be a one-time exemption. But this is long overdue. Right now in Division One athletics, uh, in, in football, men's and women's basketball, baseball, and men's ice hockey, if you transfer from your current university to another one, you have to sit for a year. You, can, you have to be at the school, but you can't play for a year. Now, you don't lose the year of eligibility, but in the NCAA, you have five years to exhaust your four years of eligibility. So it means in order to play all four years, you're going to have to stay another year in school. And uh, it's it's kind of it's a dumb rule. I don't understand. I never understood it, especially where if you play soccer and you transfer from one school to another, you can play right away. You know, it just it didn't make any, it's never made any sense to me. And I worked in college athletics for 25 years. Never, never got it. Um. Now, this will be a one-time exemption because, and, and I also understand this. I understand, I think, that the premise behind this was they didn't want kids, you know, uh, playing four years of college and playing at four different schools. I get it. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't transfer more than once, even if they, they throw that waiver out. It just means that if you go from university A to university B after your first year, you can play right away in your second year. Now, if you choose to transfer to university C after that, then you do have to sit out a year. Uh, the lone exception to that, by the way, is if you drop in, uh, in divisions, which doesn't happen very often. If you are a division one athletic, uh, athlete and you go down to division three, you don't have to sit. Or if you're a Division three athlete, I'm not, you know, and I, and I have to check on this, but I don't think you have to sit if you go from uh, Division three to Division one, which also doesn't happen very often. Um, but it'll be a one-year exemption. 
or a one-time exemption. So I think it's about time. Uh, you know, and, and the problem now with it is, is that there are certain circumstances. There's a process called a hardship waiver where you can uh, and your school can apply to the NCAA and say this person shouldn't have to sit out a year. They should be able to play right away. In some cases, they grant that because, um, for instance, you're recruited to University A, your coach leaves to go to another university, you are recruited by this other guy because you wanted to play for him. If he leaves a lot of times, or she leaves, a lot of times the NCAA will grant you that waiver and say, okay, we get it. Uh, or if it's a family issue or there's some other overriding concern, the NCAA will grant the waiver. The problem is, is that the NCAA is not consistent with that. They never have been. Um, you know, uh, if you're a high-profile athlete, you're more likely to get the waiver. For instance, uh, Justin Fields was at the University of Georgia, transferred to Ohio State in 2019, and was granted the waiver by the NCAA to play right away. But that didn't carry across the board. Uh, for instance, at the University of Connecticut, Evina Westbrook transferred to the UConn women's basketball team from the University of Tennessee. UConn applied for the waiver to allow her to be able to play right away. Well, guess what? They didn't grant it. So she had to sit out the 2019-20 season and then come back and, and play this year. And she's coming back for another year. But she wasn't granted the waiver. No reason was given. But for some reason, Joey Lawrence, who was, you know, uh, you know, a, a, or Justin Fields, I mean, who was a, a big-time name, and because it's big-time college football, got the waiver. So they had to do this. I mean, it, it's expected to pass. It'll be, I'll be shocked if it doesn't. Uh, there still are, you know, and, and I don't know. I would assume it will take care of the rules because right now there's also rules uh, in different conferences that if you transfer with to another school within the conference that you currently play in, you have to sit out a year, no matter what sport it is. Um, I don't know whether this NCAA rule will uh, override that or not. I know a lot of uh, a lot of conferences are doing away with it, but I know that it is still um, an issue in some conferences. Supposedly, the American Conference. Um, and the ACC and the Mid-American Conference are eliminating those transfer policies, um, but I don't know that everyone has. I have a feeling, though, if the NCAA does pass this rule in the next day or two, um, I think the, the all the conferences will be forced to do that. So, anyway, I think it's a good rule. It's about time. Uh, you know, and <laughs> it's it, by and large, with the exception of a guy like Justin Fields, most of these guys that transfer – it's not like they're going to go from one school to another and suddenly they're going to win a national championship. They're going to go to a school that's probably already very good. You know, uh, a guy who is a star basketball player or a star football player isn't transferring, you know, to uh, East Jabip to play for a team that was 0-10 the previous year. I mean, you know, and they're already going to go to a program that's very good. Uh, and, and look, you know, the other part of it is, in some ways, when you think about it, a relationship between a coach and an athlete is a lot like a marriage. 
Um, and how many marriages do we see where these t- this couple's madly in love until they get married and start living with each other and realize, ooh, this is not the person I thought they were. You know, there's, and, and a coach can be charming as hell at a home visit you know, with your parents and, you know, and, and convince you to, to join a program. And then you get there and it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And you go, wait a minute, this isn't the guy that was in my living room. And, you know, they, and then they get penalized because the coach pulled a bait and switch. So I, I'm, I'm fully support this. And, and I'm, I, I'm glad the NCAA is finally showing some, look, the NCAA is finally being forced to show some sense in a lot of things, you know, including athletes being able to profit off of their names. I mean, if they're in a video game, they should be, they should get paid for that. Not the university. They should get paid for that. Um, you know, they should be able to, you know, have endorsement deals. You know, if, if a local car dealership wants to hire a kid to, you know, to represent their, uh, their dealership or a local bank wants to hire one of the, athletes, they should be able to do that. The NCAA should have nothing to say about that. You know, the only thing the NCAA should have anything to say is you can't get paid to play the sport that you're playing. You know, you can't uh, be a, a college football player and then in the summer get paid uh, to play football for some, you know, renegade team. You know what I mean? I mean, that's all. as far as if that goes, you know, that's the only thing the NCAA should be concerned about. So about time this, this happened. Uh, other college news, Shea Ralph, who has been an assistant at the University of Connecticut, since 2008 on Gino Arama's staff, she's been part of 13 consecutive Final Fours, six NCAA championships. Well, she's leaving. She's leaving UConn to become the new head coach at Vanderbilt um, and uh, taking over a program that has struggled, uh, a team that has not reached the NCAA tournament in the last seven years, despite the fact that this was a program that was a perennial NCAA tournament team. They've been to the NCAA tournament 26 times. Uh, they've, they've been to a Final Four. They've been to Elite Eight, Sweet Sixteens on a regular basis. Uh, but the last several years have been rough. So Shea Ralph heads to Vanderbilt. Uh, it's a twofer as far as Vanderbilt goes because in addition to getting Shea Ralph, her husband is the women's basketball c- coach at the University of Massachusetts Lowell. He's been the head coach there for three years. He's leaving UMass Lowell to join her at Vanderbilt, and he will be one of her assistant coaches uh, at Vanderbilt. So now there's an opening for the uh, for an assistant coaching position at the University of Connecticut, and obviously people are going to be salivating to become part of uh, of that program. Um, the other thing I saw this morning, and this we talked yesterday about the whole vaccine passport thing and about how states are. Uh, uh, some states are thinking about the idea of like, if you want to come to Florida, you got to show your passport at the border that you've been vaccinated. Uh, and we have states that are saying, oh, no, no, we're not going to have that. Missouri, Montana's done the same thing. Um, yet the news story that I saw this morning said that the Buffalo Bills and the Buffalo Sabres plan to have 100% capacity at their games starting this fall. Sounds great, right? Well, they're on, you're only going to be able to go if you can prove that you have been vaccinated. So essentially, it is a vaccine passport if you want to go to see the Bills play this fall. 
or the Sabres play this fall. Um, they're going to apply, the fans can apply for something called the Excelsior Pass, uh, which will show that they've been fully vaccinated. It's already being used by the New York State Health Department. Uh, I assume it's probably some app on your phone or something. But again, this is this is not cool. You know, and everybody's going to say, well, you know, you, it's it's to protect the everybody, um, you know, because if, if you're going to go to a concert or to a sporting event, you know, you should be able to feel confident that you're going to be safe. Why? For hundreds of years, people have been going to plays and, and concerts and whatever. And, you know, there's always a risk that you're going to get something. You know, somebody has a cold, you're going to catch it. You know, uh, somebody, you know, in the old days, if somebody had something really bad, it, you know, there could be, an, and we've there have been cases of, you know, huge outbreaks starting because of people that have gone to public events. But... Is this going to be the new norm? Are we going to have, let's say that there is some kind that we have a, maybe there's going to be a COVID-20, you know, a few years from now. I, I don't want to joke about that, but, you know, does that mean that we're now going to have to start walking around carrying vaccination cards in our wallets showing that I, I've had the measles vaccine, I've had the mumps vaccine, I've had the COVID vaccine, I've had the shingles vaccine. I mean, is that what it's going to come to? I hope not. You know, I get, the principle behind it, but I don't agree with, you know, having to show my papers, so to speak. You know, this isn't Nazi Germany, you know, or communist Russia, where you have to walk around with your papers showing that you're, uh, you know, an upstanding citizen, because that's essentially what these Excelsior passes are. Uh, you know, right now, if you want to go to a Sabres game, and then we're in the middle of the pandemic, so I kind of get this, but, you know, they're only allowing limited fans. And in order to go now, you have to provide either proof of vaccination or a negative test that was taken within 72 hours of the game to go. When we're in the middle of this, I can, I can understand it to a degree. You know, but at the same time, if you want to go to a public event, you accept some level of risk, you know, no matter what it is, whether it's getting hit by a, a, a ball in the stands. And I know they've put netting up, but you know what? There can still be foul balls, pop-ups into the stands. And if you're not watching, it could hit you right on top of the coconut and knock you out. You accept that risk when you go to a ball game, you know, uh, there's always the chance you go to a basketball game and somebody's going to dive, uh, after a, 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 a ball and go into the stands and land in your lap and, and you know, spill hot coffee all over you or something, you, you accept that risk. Um, so I get it. Um, but at what point do we stop this kind of madness? I mean, are we going to, are we going to have to show a passport to go to the movies? You know, that's the question I'm asking. And, and, you know, there's a lot of people that say, yeah, we're probably going to have to. And that's just baloney as far as I'm concerned. So uh, if that's but if that's, you know, if people are willing to accept that, I guess there's not much we can do about it. At the, look, at the end of the day, 
um, this is going to get challenged in court at some point. You know, because it basically means somebody who is against vaccinations is never going to be able to go to a concert. You know, and, and uh, you know, I've been vaccinated, so it's not necessarily an issue for me. But my wife hasn't been vaccinated and doesn't plan to. And she has her own reasons for that. And, and you know, I have to accept that. But does that mean that she and I are never going to be able to go to a concert together or to a baseball game together for the rest of our lives? You know, I... I don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. So we'll see. It's going to get challenged. There's no question about that. Um, and it will be interesting to see how the federal government handles this. It, look, uh, I am not longing for the days of Donald Trump. Can't stand the guy. Hope he never shows up there again. But you know, my concern is this: the Democratic Party is all about Big Brother. The Democratic Party is all about bigger government, and uh, you know telling you what's best for you the, the, you know the government's going to take care of you don't worry we got this well when they say that you know what it means it means they're going to tell you what to do they're going to put more rules and regulations in place about everything and that's what we're going to have to abide by you know now we can vote them out the problem is you run the risk of getting a you know uh an orange oompa loompa in uh in office you know and so I worry about where this is going and the states that are kind of getting on top of the whole anti-vaccine passport thing, trying to get out in front of it. It's going to be interesting to see uh, which side wins this war. But at the end of the day, if it, it, it may be difficult in a, in a, for instance, an arena that is um, city-owned. But if it's a private arena, for instance, uh, where the Patriots play, Gillette Stadium, that's owned by Robert Kraft, who owns the Patriots. So technically, that's a private facility. So Robert Kraft, as the owner of a private facility, can set the rules. The problem is, is if there is city ownership or any, any part of city ownership of any facility, like in Buffalo or, you know, like in uh, civic centers around the, the country, you know, that's where it's going to get a little bit dicey. You know, a private business can do whatever they want. They can set whatever rules they want, and then you can make the decision whether you're going to go or not. But if, it's, if there's some level of public ownership of this, then it becomes a little dicey. So it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to follow this. It's not something, obviously, as, uh, that I'm, I'm in favor of, and I hope it doesn't get worse but I fear it may. All right, uh, let's get to sp actual sports. How about the Boston Red Sox? How about seven wins in a row? And uh, after losing the first three games of the season and everybody was ready to say, well, here we go again, you know, this has been unbelievable. And yesterday it was a different cast of characters that got the job done. And this one looked like it was going to go south in a hurry. Martin Perez got the start for the Red Sox and was awful in the first inning. Uh, Minnesota loaded the bases with nobody out, and they only scored two runs. That, that in itself was a minor miracle considering the way Perez was in the first inning. And then Perez comes out after that first inning 
and was a different pitcher. Now, what did he do? Well, he said he went and he looked at some video as to, to see what he was doing. But the other thing he did, he took off his long sleeve shirt and put on a, a short sleeve shirt, and, and he said he felt better. He said he felt like he wasn't loose. He felt like he was too tight, and he thought that the shirt was kind of restricting him. Well, he had a long sleeve shirt on because it was 33 degrees and snowing at game time. There was there were points during this game yesterday where I thought they were going to have to get a shovel out. I was worried that they weren't going to be able to continue the game because it was snowing so hard. If that snow you know started to accumulate in the outfield, they were going to have to call the game. Uh, the snow eventually stopped, but it never really got warm. I think it was you know 35 degrees when the game finished. So it was cold. So he goes out in long sleeve shirts, which you can absolutely understand. But after that first inning, he gave up two hits and a walk. That was it. And kept the Red Sox in the game. So they go through five innings, and the Red Sox score two in the top of the fifth, and Perez comes out, pitches the bottom of the fifth, and leaves the game in a tie game. I didn't think there was any chance the Sox were going to win this game. When they were down 2 nothing in the first and the way Perez was pitching, I thought this was over. And the cast of characters that got it done yesterday, it was the bottom of the Red Sox lineup. It was Hunter Renfro, Christian Arroyo, and Bobby Dahlbeck. They had five of the seven Red Sox hits. They drove in three of the four runs. Uh, Renfro had a home run. Dead center field. It was a bomb. Christian Arroyo with a couple of hits, scored two runs. Bobby Dahlbeck with two opposite field doubles. And the one time they got him out, he hit one to the opposite field right on the screws, but right at the right fielder. Bobby Dahlbeck came into this game hitting 120 on the season. Goes two for three yesterday with a couple of runs batted in and stung the ball all three times. So if you're the Red Sox and, you know, the guys and now Rafi Devers, you know, one of their big guys had a uh, had a home run yesterday. By the way, that was his fourth home run or fourth uh, game with a home run. He's hit five homers in the last four games. But Xander Bogarts, who had been so hot, had a cool day. Uh, J.D. Martinez, who'd been hotter than anybody in Major League Baseball, went 0 for 4. Alex Verdugo didn't get a hit. Kike Hernandez did nothing at the top of the lineup. But the bottom of the lineup stepped in, and then the Red Sox bullpen, uh, an outstanding job again. Sawamura comes in in the sixth, does a great job. Adovino, another scoreless inning. Uh, even Darwin's and Hernandez. Now, he made it interesting again. He walked a guy and gave up a hit. He is, a, he is an adventure. And then Matt Barnes who has allowed just one base runner in his appearances this year, comes on and pitches a perfect ninth inning to pick up his first save of the season. Outstanding effort by the Red Sox yesterday. And, you know, you don't have to look any far, any farther for this Red Sox team as, as the pitching. And, again, you know, the hope was that this was going to be a uh, major league average pitching staff. Well, right now, uh, they're pitching better than almost every staff in Major League Baseball, with the exception of probably the uh, the Dodgers. You know, and if you look at what happened last year, in the 60 games they played last year, the Red Sox rotation only in 25 out of the 60 games, only 25 times that they have a pitcher go at least five innings. When that happened, they were awful. But when they did go those five innings, they were 16 and nine. But in games when they didn't, they were eight and 27. 
Well, the Red Sox this year in their first 10 games have had a starting pitcher go at least five innings in nine of the 10 games. The lone exception to that was that one bad game by Garrett Richards. But outside of that, this pitching staff has been dynamite. And it's a pitching staff where not one of these guys has ever been to an all-star game. Uh, no one's going to, uh, you know, mistake them for, uh, you know, a hall of fame pitching staff. Now you could make a case that, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez is going to be an ace for a while, but the rest of these guys, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're pitching. I, I hope they're, I hope they're not pitching over their heads. I hope this is what we can expect all year, but man, what, what a, uh, what a start to the season. Uh, and by the way, they become just the second te- or the first team since the Seattle Mariners back in 2017 to win seven in a row after losing the first three. Now, before you get too excited, the Seattle Mariners ended up finishing in fifth place that season. All right. So, and, you know, as, as Pete Abraham pointed out yesterday, you know, there are teams that. Uh, have routinely that have lost a hundred games that at some point during the season have won seven out of 10. So let's not get giddy. That doesn't mean the Red Sox are going to win the division or even be a playoff team, but at least it gives Sox fans some hope. We've seen something and we, and we should have some hope. We also know that at some point this season, Chris sales going to come back and what that looks like. We don't know, uh, but we should have some hope. You know, we should have some hope because guys like Bobby Dahlbeck, who are, who's a rookie, just getting his feet underneath him, is looking like he's starting to figure it out. If he figures it out with his power, I mean, this team's only going to get better. So, uh, you know, I don't know how long this can continue. We're going to find out today. We have a doubleheader today uh, starting at 2 o'clock. Uh, and then they will play a single game on Thursday. But today it will be Nate Evaldi in the first game. Uh, Erod pitches in game two and it's a single admission doubleheader. So the first game, the seven inning game will be at two o'clock and then the second game will start 30 minutes after that. And then uh, Garrett Richards will get the start on Thursday. So, you know, things are looking good and the Red Sox are probably going to end up with an off day on Friday because it's supposed to pour in Boston. They're coming home to start a 10 game homestand. They're probably not going to be able to play on Friday because of the weather, but uh, which will be a good thing because, you know, having to do this doubleheader, it's going to mess up uh, uh, guys' rest and whether they're going to be able to keep guys on a regular rotation. So we'll see. But doubleheader today, and, you know, can they make it eight? Can they make it nine? I'll tell you what, if they win bo- both ends of this doubleheader today, uh, I'll be downright giddy. 32 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. Back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 34 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on a Wednesday morning. Um, we've got uh, plenty more baseball to talk about, but uh, before we do that, I want to get into the uh, the Boston Celtics and the Boston Bruins. They both pick up wins last night for the Celtics. Uh, their fourth win in a row, they beat the Portland Trailblazers last night, uh, 116 to 115. Jason Tatum uh, with a bucket. Uh, in the final seconds to help the Celtics to this win. Uh, and a big, uh, another smart play last night, no pun intended. Marcus Smart uh, got sent to the foul line with three and a half seconds left in the game. Uh, he intentionally missed his second free throw 
to make sure that Portland wasn't going to be able to get a good look at the basket for their final shot. So instead, they had to, you know, throw up a heave from about 70 feet away to try to win the game. Uh, Smart move. The Blazers didn't have any timeouts, so if he had made the free throw, then Portland could have called a timeout, and, you know, they would have been down two, but then they would have had the ball at half court. Well, they didn't have any timeouts left. So Smart made sure that they weren't going to get a good look at the basket. But now the Celtics have themselves in the fifth spot in uh, the NBA standings uh, in the Eastern Conference. And they've got one more game left on this three-game road swing. They have won the first two. They play the Los Angeles Lakers on Thursday. The Lakers beat them in Boston earlier, 96-95. This is a Laker team that is a little uh, undermanned right now. Uh, LeBron James is hurt. You know, this is a perfect opportunity for the Celtics to sneak one on the road here. And look, they're only a game behind uh, Atlanta for fourth place in the Eastern Conference. They're only five games behind Milwaukee for third place. I don't think they're going to get there. But they can at least set themselves up in a position to get uh, the home field advantage for the first round of the playoffs. And I have said all along, this team has way too much talent to be playing as badly as they have been playing. Uh, and I fully, you know, I keep, well, I, should, I shouldn't say fully. I keep expecting them for the light to go on and this team to start doing what they're supposed to do. Well, uh, Jason Tatum has uh, made it his mission these last several games. 32 points last night, uh, nine rebounds, five assists, had a hell of a game. Uh, Kemba Walker had 21 points last night, one of his best games in a while. He had eight rebounds and seven assists. Uh, Jalen Brown with 24 points. And they're doing all this, um, you know, without guys that uh, they're counting on. For instance, Evan Fournier, who they got in that trade with Orlando, has played a grand total of one game with the Celtics because of COVID-19 protocols. He didn't play again last night. You know, so a guy they were counting on uh, when they made that trade at the trade deadline uh, hasn't hardly played for them at all, and yet they're still on a roll. And he's going to help them because right now they're not getting any scoring off the bench, and he will certainly help that. Uh, another strong game for Robert Williams in the middle. Uh, 16 points, seven rebounds, four assists, and uh, did a great job. Shot 8 of 12 from the field in 25 minutes, 16 points, 7 boards. I'll take that all day long. Uh, and as far as the Bruins go, a bit disappointing. I mean, look, they won it in a shootout. They win 3-2, to two, so they pick up a couple of points last night, but they were playing the last-place Buffalo Sabres. You know, I'd kind of hope for a little bit better performance than that. They were up 2-1. Buffalo scored uh, late uh, to send it into overtime, a goal by uh, – uh, Dolan with uh, about seven minutes left in the game tied it up at two but a great job in the overtime I'll tell you what this young goaltender Swayman is a lot of fun to watch in the uh, the shootout just stoned both guys that uh, tried to score for Buffalo in the shootout and the Bruins uh, score on both their chances so they win it they now sit in fourth place uh, in the east with 50 points, they're four ahead of the New York Rangers. Again, you know, the only the big thing here is uh, trying to get some home ice advantage. And uh, they've got Pittsburgh that's six points ahead of them. They've got the Islanders eight points ahead and Washington ten points ahead of that. And this Washington Capitals team, my God, I mean, they are just killing people. Another, uh, They put up six, I think, on the Flyers last night. 
Uh, they are just scoring goals at a ridiculous pace right now. So I'm not sure that the Bruins are, you know, maybe they can catch Pittsburgh. I mean, the good news, I guess, for Boston is they have some games in hand. When you look at it, um, Pittsburgh has played uh, four more games than the Bruins. So theoretically, if the Bruins can take advantage of that and, and win those games in hand, you know, they could potentially leapfrog Pittsburgh. The problem is, is right now that the Penguins are playing really well. They are eight and two in their last 10. The Bruins are just five, four and one in their last 10 uh, of the playoff teams right now. They are probably outside of, uh, yeah, probably outside of Calgary. They are playing the worst uh, hockey uh, of, a, of a playoff contending team right now. So, you know, you'll take the win, but it wasn't exactly what you would have hoped against a, a weak Buffalo Sabres team. So, uh, all right, let's uh, get back to some baseball. The New York Yankees lost again. And, you know, as everybody knows, you know, as, as most Red Sox fans, you root for two teams, the Red Sox and then anybody else who is playing the Yankees. And the Yankees got beat up by the Toronto Blue Jays yesterday. And uh, this Yankee team is really struggling to hit the baseball. And, you know, it, it's not going to help them when Jamison Tyon goes out and gives up eight hits and five runs in three and two-thirds innings. Uh, and, you know, Kenjin Ryu started for Toronto. He is dynamite. You know, I, I was thinking about this. How good are the Dodgers? You look at, you know, how great their pitching staff is and all these great young pitchers they have, like Dustin May and Walker Bueller and all these guys. Think about this. Hinjin Ryu is the ace of this Toronto team. Why? Because the Dodgers jerked him around and, you know, he just didn't want to stay. And the Dodgers weren't interested because they had all these young pitchers. But this is a guy that's left the Dodgers, who wasn't an ace on the Dodgers staff, and is now an ace with the Blue Jays. Kenta Maeda, a guy that got jerked around by the Dodgers between the starting rotation and the bullpen. He's now the ace, or you could say, or he's choice 1B, maybe behind Jose Barrios with the Minnesota Twins. These are two guys that were parts of this Dodger team that are now aces in other places. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And Hinjin Ryu yesterday, six and two-thirds, he threw 95 pitches, 68 of them for strikes. Uh, and the Yankees were getting shut out in this game until the seventh inning. They were down 6 nothing, And they made it interesting. They scored one in the seventh, got a couple in the eighth to make it 6-3, and then uh, Toronto got another one in the bottom of the eighth to put this one away. Um, but now the uh, Yankees lose again. They fall to five and six on the season, as uh, are the Toronto Blue Jays. Matter of fact, you know what's interesting? This American League East, everybody talks about how great the American League East is. You know, they've got the you got the Toronto Blue Jays, you got the New York Yankees, you've got the Tampa Bay Rays. You know, everybody figures those are those are all three playoff teams. Outside of the Boston Red Sox, everybody in the American League East is under five hundred. They're all five and six, with the exception of the Red Sox. You know, everybody's just kind of beating up on everybody else. And look, make no mistake, this Yankee team is going to hit. It's just a matter of time. But uh, right now, they are in a big, big funk. Uh, today, Corey Kluber, who was not very good his last time out, will take the hill uh, against Ross Stripling in the uh, series finale. That game is scheduled for 1 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, the New York Mets with a doubleheader sweep of the Philadelphia Phillies yesterday. Um, they won 
the first game four to three. They ended up coming up with two runs in extra innings. Again, seven inning doubleheaders. It's kind of hard to wrap your head around. Uh, but uh, Philly scored one in the top of the eighth inning in game one, and then the Mets came back and scored two uh, to win the uh, first game four to three. Taiwan Walker was really good for the Mets. Um, but the pitch count got up, and he only lasted four and a third. And this is a guy that's coming off an injury, so they don't want to uh, uh, overdo it with him. So they took him out. The bullpen did a, a very good job, uh, and they got to Hector Neris, who did not have very good control in the eighth inning, and he ends up losing that game uh, as the Mets take game one, four to three. And then in game two, Marcus Stroman, the guy who got screwed the other day when they started a game, only threw like nine pitches. Um it comes out yesterday on one day arrest, and again, you know, I, I don't want to make too big a deal over the nine pitch thing. It was, it was more of uh, just the stupidity about the Mets. You knew Stroman was going to be okay. Well, he threw six shutout innings yesterday, allowed just four hits. He struck out three, didn't walk anybody. Uh, Jerice Familia comes and pitches the last inning. It does give up a, a couple of hits, but a big double play, and the Mets sweep. They beat the Phillies in game two, four to nothing. Uh, Brandon Nimmo. Man, what a start to the season. Look, it's a small sample size. They've only played seven games. But this guy's on base percentage is like 600. He was three for four yesterday, uh, or three for four, I should say, in the uh, uh, the second game yesterday. He had a couple of hits in the first game as well as walking. I mean, he just continues to get on base. He drove in three of the four runs for the Mets from the leadoff spot uh, in game number two. Francisco Lindor just one for three, continues to struggle at the plate hitting just 174 to start the season. Uh, Zach Wheeler will pitch for the Phillies today. He'll take on his old team. David Peterson, the second-year man who got uh, torched last week in Philadelphia, he gave up six runs in four innings against the Phillies last week in Philadelphia. Uh, he'll get the start for the Mets today. Uh, so uh, it, he has not fared well against the Phillies. He has an ERA of over 16 in two career starts against the Phillies. Uh, but in all those other starts, he's made nine other starts in the major leagues. His ERA is 2.6. So for whatever reason, uh, the Phillies uh, seem to own him. And the uh, Atlanta Braves lose again. And I'll tell you what, I'm getting a little bit tired of Major League Baseball pushing the Atlanta Braves. Do they have good young talent? Yes. Is Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzie Albies, are they talented? Yes. Is Ian Anderson a good young pitcher? Yes. But I am getting a little bit tired of everything. You look on the front page of the Major League Baseball website, and they are worshiping at the feet of Ronald Acuna Jr. and at uh, Ozzie Albies. I know they're trying to – they want to hype some of these young players because they're trying to bring young people into the game and saying, hey, look, here's, you know, here's a young kid. This is somebody to get excited about. But, look, you know, this Atlanta team got embarrassed yesterday by the Miami Marlins. They got beat 14-8. to eight. You know, they lose a game the other day against the Phillies. You know, maybe they shouldn't have, uh, but, you know, it looked like the play at the plate was made, but they called them safe. This Atlanta team is 4-7. and seven. Now, they're not, they're, they're not going to be an under 500 team, but I don't think they are much better than a 500 team. I really don't. And as I've said, I thought this um, National League East from top to bottom might be the best division in baseball. You know, right now you look at some of the records and you're going, what the hell are you talking about? I mean, Miami's only four and six, but they've won three in a row. You know, and again, they have good young players. The guy that screwed the Braves yesterday, 
How about Adam Duvall, who was on the Atlanta team last year? They decided not to keep him. So he signed a one-year free agent deal with Miami. Well, Adam Duvall yesterday against his old team went off. Uh, four for four, two home runs, drove in seven to help the uh, the Marlins pick up their third straight win. And Atlanta falls to four and seven. I, I think this Atlanta team and some of the projections showed them to be an, like an 82-win team. And I'm telling you what, I'm not sure they're much better than that. I don't know if they have enough pitching. Uh, they're making a... You know, they have some good young guys, but, you know, they're they're counting on guys like Max Freed. Max Freed was awful again yesterday for the second straight time. Four innings, he gave up eight runs. You know, and, uh, you know, this is a team that, you know, they do have some great young position players. There is no doubt about that. But I'm not sure this team has enough pitching to contend in the National League East. It's 48 minutes past the hour. We're going to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call. It is uh, 50 minutes past the hour here on a Wednesday morning. News just came down. Bernie Madoff has uh, passed away. Uh, Bernie Madoff, who orchestrated the largest Ponzi scheme in history, Uh, died uh, in federal prison today. He was 82 years old. They have been trying to get him uh, released from prison during the pandemic, saying that, uh, you know, he had renal disease and other chronic conditions. He was denied. I mean, this is a guy that uh, ripped people off for $17.5 billion. So I don't think there are a lot of people uh, uh, crying that he passed away. I mean, both his sons uh, passed away. One of them died of suicide. He couldn't handle the stuff that his father had done, ended up uh, committing suicide. And, uh, so anyway, Bernie Madoff uh, just passed away today at the age of 82 in federal prison. Uh, on a lighter note, I made bagels yesterday. I'm so excited about this. I, uh, (laughs) and this is one of those things that, uh, and I'm getting ready to go, to go finish them. Um, my wife and I talk about a lot of things that, you know, there's things that you can do at home, you know, Hey, you should try this. You should try that. There are some things that are best left to the professional. So I'm about to find out whether bagel making is best left to the professionals or not. It's something I've always wanted to try. So I found a recipe and I made them yesterday, made the dough, shaped them all out. I've had them proofing in the uh, refrigerator overnight. So now I got to go, I got to go boil them and then I got to bake them and we'll see. So, uh, I'll have a full report tomorrow. Uh, and it may, you know, it may be one of those things. I'll be like, okay, I tried it and I will never try, (laughs) never try this again, but I'm pretty excited about it. It should be, uh, it'd be an interesting experiment. And I don't consider myself a baker, but, uh, I'm a pretty good cook, but I don't consider myself a baker uh, by and large. So, uh, we'll see, we'll see how this turns out. I'll have a, I'll have a report tomorrow morning. Uh, a couple other baseball notes before we get out of here this morning. Uh, perhaps the best game of the day yesterday and everybody was excited about it. It was the Battle of Aces, the Cleveland Indians at the Chicago White Sox. It was Shane Bieber against Lucas Giolito, uh, perhaps the two best pitchers in the American League, and they did not disappoint. Uh, Bieber went nine innings, struck out 11, walked one. He only gave up three hits. Uh, Giolito went seven innings, didn't give up anything, struck out eight, walked two, gave up just three hits. Uh, This game was scoreless after nine innings, and Cleveland wins it with a couple of runs in the 10th inning um, as uh, they send the White Sox under 500. They are 5-6. Cleveland right now sitting atop the uh, 
American League Central with a six and four record. You know, and a lot of people talked about, well, they traded, you know, uh, Lindor and they did this and they didn't resign this. You look, they have great pitching. They have Bieber. You know, they have Aaron Savali. They have a bunch of great young pitchers that is going to allow this team to compete if they can hit it all. Now, they didn't hit great yesterday, but it was Lucas Giolito. So, Bieber with a vintage performance yesterday. He has now struck out at least eight in 15 straight games. Uh, that actually breaks the record set by Corey Kluber uh, back in uh, 2015. So, uh, a, a impressive performance by Bieber. Doesn't have anything to show for it other than a no decision, but uh, his team does end up beating the Chicago White Sox by a final of two to nothing. And speaking of great pitchers, um, you know, and the one of the best pitchers in the National League outside of Jacob DeGrom is Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer goes seven shutout innings yesterday. He gave up just one hit, walked two guys, struck out nine as the uh, Dodgers bombed the Colorado Rockies by a final of seven to nothing. You know, it, it, the thing with Bauer is, is, you know, he was pretty pissed off when they, they seized a lot of baseballs that he had thrown um, his last start. And, you know, why are you picking on me kind of thing? And, um, showed no signs of letting that bother him yesterday. He was absolutely dominant. Uh, it doesn't hurt when you get the back-to-back homers by Corey Seager and Chris Taylor in the first inning. Uh, Max Muncy had a home run in this game. Mookie Betts had missed the previous four games with some uh, uh, back issues. He came back yesterday. He hit a home run, and uh, the Dodgers win this easily, seven uh, nothing. David Price, by the way, uh, made an appearance for the Dodgers. Uh, his first appearance in Los Angeles since opting out of last uh, season. He came out of the bullpen, pitched a scoreless eighth inning, struck out a couple of guys. Uh, so the Dodgers keep it rolling. And in another one that you just love to see, the Detroit Tigers beat the Houston Astros for the second straight game. This is an Astro team that started out 6-1. and one. They're now 6-5, and five, and they have lost two in a row to the Detroit Tigers, who are arguably the worst team in the American League. And, you know, they're going to be right up there with one of the worst teams in Major League Baseball along with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And yet here they are come out yesterday. They beat the Astros for the second straight time. Uh, the final in yesterday's game was 8-2. to two. It was never close. Uh, great performance um, yesterday by Boyd. Six and two-thirds innings, just one run, six hits, struck out four, only walked one. Uh, Jake Odorizzi got his first start for Houston and was terrible. Seven hits, five runs, and three and a third innings. And, you know, he says, he says this one's on me. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> he said, anytime you give up multiple runs, uh, you know, it, it, mid-game, uh, it's usually tough to come back from. You think so? Uh, so that one uh, was over quickly, and uh, they will wrap up the series today. Michael Fulmer will get the start. He'll take on Lance McCullers, Jr., uh, as the Tigers look for the sweep. Now, that is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call and the Bagel Report. Hope you can join us. We leave you this morning with some music from Josh Turner, Long Black Train. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.